house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. said they wouldn't, but they did, and then it happened. Why have you opened the curtains? It was Victor. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. I've seen them too. Have? Sooner or later, she'll see them. Then everything will be different. Now, children, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is carrying around a cardboard cutout of our favorite soap opera characters, twin Julianne Moores. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we were here to per- we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with my co-host daughter. Wait, what have you done with my daughter? Are you mad? I am your daughter. Hello, Joe Reed. Hi. That was my little Hi. play. Uh, um, yeah, the Oscar hopes died, and then we took weird, creepy photos of them and put them in an album and then hid them in the room. <laughs> Our podcast is the ghost album oh, from boy. this movie. Like, no wonder there are so many movies about, like, creepy English Victorian homes and... They're filled with photo albums spooky of children yeah just like maids. wow why don't we why don't we just take photos of our dead and not only just photos of our dead but like prop them up in little chairs <laughs> with look... little matching outfits oh my god it's so macabre it's so uh yeah it's it's quite a time quite a time absolutely. they used to we have will, in England. We, we will absolutely get into it first off right up top uh we want to encourage all of our listeners to donate to the emergency release fund. Um, this goes to support um, the bail fund in New York City for trans people and black trans people protesting against the um, current state of police brutality in America. You can donate to emergencyreleasefund.com. Joe and I both have. I will also provide resources um, for you to be involved and to contribute in other ways. Um, as well, I will put that on our Tumblr, this had oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter. Um, once again, that's emergencyreleasefund.com. Joseph. Yes. We're doing the rare horror movie we can talk about this week. I know. I know. And it's it's funny because I suggested this and then we had sort of agreed upon it. And then I was like, oh, right. This was one of those that we were sort of like holding in our back pocket for a Halloween episode. And we can, you know... We'll find something else. The but. calendar never... Re- it, it, we did Hannibal in our first year. And right. I, if I remember correctly, it was like the episode dropped on Halloween. But like the calendar mm. since, I don't think, has really aligned that we've really, you know, tried yeah. to do it. You As know? I'm now scrolling through, like our last... <laughs> the closest one we had last year to Halloween was Cadillac Records. So 
Not yeah, not entirely thematically. We're not great always, episode. Uh, we love Jordan Searles. Oh, fantastic! It's just Who like you not a spooky Hear back soon. Yes, that's right. Man, I'm really good at inadvertently plugging our future episodes. <laughs> I'm just the person that's always shouting out, go back to our past episodes. But anyway, yes. that was our last finger quotes around the Halloween calendar Indeed. episode. So, yeah, like, obviously, anything you talk about with this movie, it's like, you could reduce it down to, like, Oscar doesn't like horror movies, which isn't as true historically as you think it is. It's just, like, they're not nominating Scream, you know? Yeah, it has to be the right kind of horror movie, the right mm-hmm. reception, the right moment. Like, it's very... It's a lot more situational. There, you, you, you won't ever find the Academy defaulting to a horror movie, like they will mm-hmm. for you know, a biopic or, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're looking for something to fill out our roster. Let's, you know, oh, what's, you know, what was a good horror movie? Like, no, they don't do that. Mm -hmm. The Others is an interesting case for this because I think that is true for this movie and there's obviously a lot of other things going on and this is part and parcel with Nicole Kidman's rise, which, like, shockingly, we really haven't talked about it. We went back when we, you know, changed episodes to do this um, somewhat last minute to be like, when was the last time we talked about Nicole Kidman? And it was a full year ago? Unless over, maybe it was the Paperboy? Was the Paperboy no. before we did 2003? Um, hold on a second. Maybe you're right about that. Maybe I, uh... Maybe I they say he dragged over... his intestine five miles. <laughs> uh, the Paperboy was in January of 2018. So, yeah, that was before The Human Stain. The Human Stain is our most recent Nicole Kidman movie. That's wild. That is wild. It's crazy. God, The Paperboy does not seem like that long ago, but that was episode 28, and we are nearing episode 100. Like it's We're almost there, you guys. What a ride. What a ride we've been on. It also is funny because like we've just you know recently come out of doing our uh, month-long miniseries on Naomi Watts, and I always feel like Nicole was sort of like spiritually there, sort of in the corner, speaking of the mm-hmm. others, like sort of <laughs> covered by a sheet <laughs> like those weird religious statues that she comes across in, in this movie. Um... But, you know, Nicole's always sort of like a presence in Naomi's story, which is, you know, not always super fair to Naomi, but there we have it. It's, you know, true. And it's the same year as Mulholland Drive that we are talking about now. That's the thing. That's the, you know, for as, you know, their stories are entwined not only because they're both from Australia and they're both friends, but because, like, their breakout, like, 2001 was such a pivotal year for them. Obviously, Nicole Kidman was like, a thing before 2001 but this mm-hmm. is the year that really changed everything in terms of her career obviously it was also a big year in her personal life her divorce from tom cruise happens this year but like her career really uh levels up in one of the most significant ways i can remember a career leveling up mm-hmm. in my in my sort of in my lifetime of experience watching this stuff it's really exciting it's you know it was a mo- it was truly a moment too and i tried to find as much as i could in the wayback machine because mm-hmm. like if you want to look up a lot of oscar research in this timeline you got to try to hunt around and like dig through the wayback machine to find things right. but like obviously this is the same year the same summer even um as Moulin Rouge, right. and especially 
early in the Oscar season. Like, it felt like Nicole Kidman was going to happen, but Moulin Rouge was weird, The Others is a horror movie, and it it felt very in flux, and, like, obviously was very in flux up until the nomination morning, because you have things happening, like, Nicole Kidman is nominated for this for BAFTA, but not Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. We don't remember it to be probably as close between these two performances as it probably very much was i wouldn't we've talked about this best actress year recently in terms of like sixth and seventh place and i part of me thinks i wouldn't be surprised if nicole kidman for this was that sixth place spot i now wouldn't that either it's always you know, it's always um tricky to try and guess how things shake out when it's one performer splitting two roles in a category mm-hmm. because like the you know it's tough to it's tough to anticipate where the numbers would go in that. That's why I'm always so fascinated by what would the numbers have been the year that Kate Winslet gets nominated for the reader at the last minute swerving from supporting to mm-hmm. lead. Um, but yeah, I absolutely you're absolutely right. In leading up to this year's Oscar nominations, the talk was either a Kidman's going to split her own vote and she's going to get left out, or b that. You know, Moulin Rouge is the flashier role, but she's going to get nominated for the others for a lot of reasons. Moulin Rouge was a divisive movie back then. A lot of people didn't think it ever had a real shot at a Best Picture nomination. And that sort mm-hmm. of became sort of more likely as the season went along. But I even still, like, up until that morning, there was no guarantee that Moulin Rouge was going to get a Best Picture nomination. People thought it was too strange, too out there. Mm-hmm. And Kit and the others. I would wager is, it was fifth place in the best picture lineup, at least for nominations. Maybe not, you know, in the final tally. But that I makes would a say, lot of sense, especially because he didn't get a best director nomination. Both he mm-hmm. and Todd Field were left out, uh, were best picture nominees that were left out of best director. Um, and then the and others, neither, even though yeah. it was a horror movie, it's a very. I'm trying to like. It's a lot more typical of an Oscar-nominated performance. It's more serious. It's it it recalls this movie reminded me a lot of The Innocents, the Deborah Carr movie, The Innocents. And like mm-hmm. obviously, if you're going to have a film and a performance that's reminiscent of Deborah Carr, then like that's going to make you think of you know Oscar-y type things as well. And but I think mostly it was just that people assumed that Oscar voters wouldn't be able to latch on to Moulin Rouge because it was too weird. I think that's mostly, Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. And the other thing about The Others is, it's two years after The Sixth Sense. And I think a lot of people thought that that success would carry over. Absolutely. Um, I remember, specifically with The Sixth Sense, and like these movies came out in the same like window of time, that, that I think was late July, and this is early August when they were released in the summer. And I remember some of the first conversation and like dialogue about this movie is that they were the same ending, which is stupid and not true. Um, no, it's not true. It's just because it's a twist doesn't mean it's the same thing. Yeah, Right. And, I mean, this was a hit movie, too. It made... More mo- how much money did this movie make? Like ninety million dollars? I know it was like two hundred over two hundred worldwide. Um, I'm not sure what it was domestic, but the worldwide box office was over two hundred million. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, domestic was ninety six. Yeah, it was a success. It was again like the Sixth Sense. It was an August horror 
hit that was, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little surprising that it was a hit. But it was from um, Dimension Films and Miramax. So Dimension obviously knew what to do with horror movies. Obviously, they made such a success of the Scream franchise. And yeah, it's a really good little movie. Like It's a great it's, movie. I really, really love it. It's... I mean, we'll we'll you know get into the whys of that, but yeah, this oh, is a really it. it's a really fascinating Oscar discussion. One of my favorites. I feel like one of the other things, and we can get into this further once we're on the other side of a sixty-second plot description that I kind of want to bring up is it feels like the movie built some momentum late in the year, especially with like a European crowd, and probably because it. Um, it, it, it continued to make money around the world, but like it's a huge movie for the Goyas. It gets even yeah. a screenplay nomination with BAFTA that I really wonder. And it's like, maybe this is true for a horror bias type of thing, or, you know, dimension is not at this time. It's not the same thing as Miramax um, in terms of like what people take seriously. But this, the, I think the craft of this movie is something that should have been considered much more oh, than it was. Absolutely. Like we, absolutely. we can get into some of the details of it too, but it also feels like this one is an oversight or maybe got lost to just the Nicole Kidman conversation. And that's maybe yeah. why Moulin Rouge is why she gets the one she gets the nomination for, because people are considering that movie for other things. Yeah, there's so much, there's so many elements of this movie that I do think are word worthy. I do wonder if um, the fact that this is the same year as Gosford Park, Gosford Park sort of took mm-hmm. all, took all the um, stately British manner <laughs> attention <laughs> away from this one, even though obviously they're put to very different effects. But yeah, I don't know. I do love this movie. Um, oh, so I'm really excited cool. to get into the conversation. So Joseph, should we do the 60 second plot description? Yeah. About 12 minutes into our recording, I think that is a, you know... It's a speed record, a record for us. For us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thoroughly unprepared for this, and I have a feeling I might get... I, I'm, I'm already envisioning the the bogs of, of plot that I'm going to get uh, stuck in before I make it through the whole thing, but we'll see. You, oh, you also, can call we a friend say, your friend Victor. Yeah, <laughs> yes. We should say before we start that, like, this movie is... 20 years old we're going to talk about Boy. the twist we're going to talk about the ending if you somehow haven't seen the others i highly encourage you to pause this podcast go watch the others and like come back and revisit it after you won't regret it it's on hbo max and hbo hbo go right now so like do it it's it's really good it's a, you won't it's a readily it. available movie if you're yes. still even late to listening to this episode and it's no longer on hbo you can find this movie somewhere Yes, and you, it's and a you new should. classic. It's only it's a tight hundred and four minutes. It's you know, it clocks in well under two hours. It's it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, once again, we are here to talk about the others, written and directed by Alejandro Amenabar, starring Nicole Kidman, Fanula Flanagan, Christopher Eccleston, and the very annoying Alakina Man, and also annoying James Bentley. Um, so good though. So good. The kids are good, but like we'll we'll have a conversation about how this movie is about how um, parenting is hell um, and children are hell. Um, mm-hmm. But the movie opened August tenth, two thousand and one. Competed later that month at the Venice opened, Film Festival. Opened two days after the Tom and Nicole divorce was finalized. Mm-hmm. Wild. Absolutely wild. 
Um, but Joseph, yes, the sixty-second plot description falls on your shoulders. Okay, all right. Are you ready to give a sixty-second plot description of classic film The Others? Ready as I'll ever be. All right, your time starts now. Okay, Nicole Kidman plays Grace. She is a mother of two. Her husband went off to World War II. This is the end days of World War II. He is missing in action. She still thinks he's going to come home. Uh, their servants disappeared, like, all, you know, all left uh, suddenly. And so they need new servants. This trio of servants who had used to be in the house, Mrs. Mills, Mr. Tuttle, and the mute woman Lydia, show up, and they're going to be uh, servants in the house. The children require, uh, they're photosensitive, so they can't have any natural light at all. So the curtains must on at all times the doors have to be locked one door has to be locked before another one can open kidman is very strict about this you start to wonder if maybe there's a kind of like she's you know munchausen a little bit uh but also they start like hearing things and there are maybe there are ghosts in the house and the little girl uh s- s- keeps talking about this boy victor that she keeps seeing and what's happening and the husband comes back from Ten the seconds. war and and then leaves again suddenly and the servants are really creepy and they find out that the servants are dead and ultimately what we find out in the end is that nicole and her kids are dead because she smothered and them. That's time and and killed herself so yes they are not haunted by ghosts they are the ghosts they are the others yes victor and his family are living people that have taken over the house after they have all perished including the mother of that family who is uh catelyn stark from game of thrones which is very interesting interesting yeah and then they that. and that that wonderful scene with that the creepy old I love that the creepy old lady turns out to be the medium that they hire the sort of like mm-hmm. uh, the the Zelda Rubenstein equivalent uh, that they ha- <laughs> hire to come over and um, you know intuit what's around her and and uh, it's that, absolutely rude that that actress is not played by either Lynn Cohen or yes. Geraldine Chaplin <laughs> who basically <laughs> plays that role in the orphanage. Or who's the old lady from Dolores Claiborne, who I love, who was also in uh, Hyde Park on Hudson? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I do, and that's going to drive me crazy the that I can't name. get her name. Yeah. Her, though. Um, but yeah. yes, um, that's a wild scene. I love old school um, depictions of old-timey psychics where they're not doing a Ouija board and they're not doing a seance, but they're doing that thing where they just like start scribbling on a paper and then ultimately they'll they'll start channeling whatever mm-hmm. voices they hear that ugh, it's such a great it's such a great unmasking scene because it's not uh, amenabar also does the score for this movie by the way and the score is really really good it's exceptional um, it's wonderful it's not a scene when ultimately you find out what's going on and the children end up in this room with the with the new family and the medium and uh they end up sort of like you know saying we're not dead we're not dead and the medium is is repeating that all of that happens weirdly gradually. There's never this music cue that is just like, this is the thing. Like, this is, mm-hmm. you know, twist. It's It happens sort of, your mind kind of uh, takes it in, like, piece by piece as it's unfolding, which is very mm-hmm. cool and very interesting. And, and you had just gotten the shock. I think the shock moment comes when the children run out to the lawn and they find the gravestones and it's the gravestones of the three servants. And so Mm -hmm. the children find out that the servants are dead and you think that's the twist. Like that's the cool thing about the twist in this movie is it's like dual, dual level. And the servants are, you're led to believe that the servants serve some type of like nefarious purpose. Like they're like the, suddenly you realize they have been the villains all along, but really what it is is they are there to facilitate 
uh, yeah. Grace and her children's understanding that they have moved on to the other they've side. They've got to they've got to ease these these people into the knowledge that they're dead. But there's you're right. There's a mm-hmm. lot of scenes of Fanola Flanagan and uh, that Mr. Tuttle where they're being like, "When should we? Uh, when should we reveal the truth? And when should you know?" Uh, she's she's being too stubborn uh we'll have to go through the ch- we'll have to go through the children first like this whole kind of thing mm-hmm. and it all feels very nefarious and there's that scene that wonderful scene where she and uh nicole goes out into the fog and and finola flanagan's just like the fog will get her and then mr tuttle like covers up the gravestones we can't see what's on the gravestones mm-hmm. but covers up the gravestones with leaves it's that scene where he's covering up the leaves is amazing because it's not something you really think about because you're focusing on what Grace is up to in that scene. Mm-hmm. But you see him literally pulling leaves out of a wheelbarrow and putting them on the ground. And yep. what you, he is doing is covering the uh, covering those headstones. And there's a tree right there. And the shot is slowly pushing in on him. And... um. When you see it now, it's like, what was he supposed to be doing? <laughs> Taking leaves out of a wheelbarrow, and Grace doesn't even notice, and because of that, we don't we don't notice either. And then, like as it's pushing in, like the tree moves out of the shot, and Grace says she's telling him to find these gravestones, right, the ones that he is covering up in front of her. And she right. said it's supposed to be over a tree, like that tree over there. And she points in the opposite direction of the tree she's standing in. That's just like this is this is why you can. And rewatch this movie. There's a lot of a really subtle times. stuff like that. It's it's also this stuff where like they've been living in this house seemingly uh, at least as long as the children have been alive. Like they haven't mm-hmm. recently moved to this house, and yet there are things about the house like when Kidman you know goes into that room where all the religious statues are covered in tarps and whatever. It feels like that's the first time she's ever been in that room. It feels like she mentions to Tuttle, she's like, I heard there was a graveyard on the on the grounds. And it's just like, oh, yeah, here, all that long? stuff Are you covered sure? in sheets is like yeah. somebody else's stuff. <laughs> right. Know? Right. This and it's, mansion's and, so big, like they don't use all the rooms, but it's still just like filled with someone else's crap. And it's such a, um, a dissonance because the other side of that coin is she has so many ironclad rules about the house. Like you can't mm-hmm. open the doors and you can't uh, undo the blinds and everything is so regimented that to have things about the house and about the estate that she's like, Oh, I heard about, Oh, you know, it, it, it's never focused on, but it sort of like plants a little seed in the back of your head. Like what's like, what's that about? What's going on? Why? You know, it almost seems like, um, I love movies where things initially seem like plot holes, where you're just mm-hmm. like, that's not right. Why is that? That seems like a flaw. And it's not a flaw. It turns out to be, you know, part of the the whole tapestry. Instrumentally placed. But yes, I don't know about you guys, and I don't know about you, Joe. <laughs> I would probably know, even if I had a large mansion, that there is a photo album of dead people. <gasps> that's in my the house. other thing. Yes, she discovers this. Like, what? <laughs> Where was this? Who packed this away? Not her belongings. Like, oh, yes, this is a family heirloom passed down the generations. All of my family dead, you know, in dead. a book. Like, It's legitimately yeah. creepy, too. But um, so that, like, those photos in that book. Wasn't there... What was the movie that did something 
like that and put that out as press materials. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Miss Peregrine books that, like, did <laughs> similar photos. Yeah. The, the, oh, um, God, the, all the stuff in Miss Peregrine with, like, just the look of so many of those characters. Samuel L. Jackson. I never saw the movie. I hated the book so much. The oh, bastardization I- of Tim Burton by Tim Burton has been <laughs> one of the creative tragedies yeah. of my lifetime. It's true. Um, what did you think of the whole photosensitivity thing? Did it make you think about Munchausen by proxy as much as it did me? Not when I first saw it, because that's not something I was thinking about when I was a teenager. But definitely now, and it's probably also because, like, there is true crime media, and then we also have a subset that's Munchausen true crime media. Yes, you know, it's, it's true. like it's everywhere. It um, is. I think this movie, again, bringing back The Sixth Sense, because that was a subplot in The Sixth Sense, um, it made me think of it while I watched this movie. I remember for the first time, I remember thinking that was the twist, that she was making her children believe that they were sick because she had, you know, gone off her rocker after, you know, Or because out. she can't stand them. Well, because that's the other thing. kids is, is it, suck. Yeah. This is another movie about, you know, the real horror is... Um, I think my children are, are, you know, little monsters. Which, again, reminds you of the innocence. The whole thing about the innocence is that, like, the children are creepy as fuck. And, you know, this woman has to be in charge of them. And Mm -hmm. they're freaking her out. Um, And, of course, now we think of the Babadook. Because the Babadook came out, like, a decade after this movie. mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. That was a big, I think that was a big reason why people really loved the Babadook was because, oh, it has a message. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. really about motherhood. The Babadook is really about motherhood was the uh, Logan's really a Western of its year. Like it was. Um, yeah, but Logan is not a Western. <laughs> I hate this conversation. I, I mostly don't care whether <laughs> Logan's mm-hmm. Western or not. I just mean that just like that was the like, you know. Um, the, it was the magic mic is about the economy of its year. Let's say that. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, It was the um, observation to have. Vela Lovell in The Big Sick talking about X-Files when she says, it's a bad show. I need that <laughs> shift in my life. I also need her to retroactively say, it's a bad movie. So, so you can talk about Logan this way? Yes. All right. Um, I, I, I want that for you. Vela Lovell is so good in that movie. I love her so much. Anyway. Anyway. The Others is my favorite kind of horror movie. I love musty mansion movies. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're not scary, like, I will sit down in front of any Haunted Mansion movie where it's just like, look at this mold. There might be a ghost somewhere. What was that <laughs> terrible movie I made you see with me at um, TIFF one year? Because it was just a yes. Haunted Mansion movie. What was that? <laughs> and it was Shit. Te- it was not good. Um, but, uh, you know, it was It was with the siblings, right? The siblings were... Yeah, yeah, where we were like... Are they fucking? Yeah, like, it was like it really a horror like movie. It was possible incest horror movie. Um, there was like a hole in the floor in the house. There was like a hole. Yeah. Like, yeah, I did not care for that movie. I can't remember no, what it was called. I forget what it was called. Obviously, we had very strong feelings about it. But I just <laughs> uh, there's something about this subgenre of horror movie, and it's very gothic too. Yeah, um, which like gothic doesn't just mean haunted mansion, but like. But in this case, boy, howdy, is that a haunted mansion? 
Indeed it is. What comes from the twist of this movie, too, is that you realize what you've been watching the whole time is basically a gothic family tragedy where she is going crazy in this mansion and she kills her kids and herself. And the inference to me is because she finds out that her husband is dead um, because they do ask after she has this monologue, you know, confessing what she did, um, if their father died in the war and she says yes. Yeah. Um, Right. There's a lot of stuff that she knows to be true that she is keeping sort of mm -hmm. locked away in some part of her mind that she doesn't want to access. And that is one of the things. I think it's also very, like, important to note that this movie takes place on the Channel Islands. It's on the island of Jersey. And the Channel Islands were the only part... What's that? Excellent caption where it's like, Jersey. Yes. 1945. (laughs) Yes. Um, But that the Channel Islands were the only part of... um, I mean, God, I don't know British shit but like they're they're part of the uk but not governmentally Mm -hmm. i don't know whatever but they're the only part of the uk that was occupied by the nazis during world war ii so they occupied uh the channel islands for most of the war and so there's stuff where grace talks about um how you know during the entire occupation she never allowed a nazi into the house and and she's you know very sort of proud of that and and now there are people in the house but there's also when christopher eccleston does come back as her husband or it turns out the ghost of her husband um i love how by the way how bewildered he is for the entirety Mm -hmm. of her appearance where he doesn't know how he ended up he sort of like emerges from the fog he doesn't really know how he ended up there he doesn't he seems to know that he doesn't belong there that he can't stay there that's and that's another thing that um kidman's character grace is very religious and gives Mm -hmm. her children very much a lot of religious instruction and one of the things they linger on is this idea of limbo and whether you know what happens to you after you die and the the four hells and and you know what are the different kinds of places and she tries to sort of keep her children in line by as many uh many a religious parent does by telling them that if they misbehave that they could go to uh, uh, ch- children's limbo when they die, which mm-hmm. is purgatory or hell or whatever. And so there's this idea that there are different afterlives. And I think that comes to play again with the husband, that like his afterlife is not going to be with them for, you know, whatever metaphysical religious reason. Um, but anyway... He's the only thing that kind of confuses or frustrates me about this movie because he he essentially functions as a device he arrives as grace is saying she's gonna leave the mansion right um, he keeps her from leaving the grounds yes right and you hear mr tuttle and Fanula flanagan say the fog will keep her so it's like when she's walking like the fog gets denser so it's like the idea that they are trapped in this yep. house and they can't go anywhere yep. but he emerges from the fog and comes there and like she immediately goes back to the house and disbands this plan. Yeah. So to me, the only way I can kind of understand it is that he is not the ghost person that he is. He is just like a conjured manifestation to prevent her from that. I didn't quite take it that way, but that's interesting. That has kind of holes to it, right? Or it's not all that satisfying. Um the thing about, because I want to go back, you brought up her religion. Another thing that I think makes this kind of an interesting, like, gothic tragedy is Grace's arc in the movie is also, 
letting go of religion. And the movie is kind of saying in a way that she can find peace when she lets go the idea of religion. Because also after she delivers that monologue at the end, she basically tells her children, I don't know that any of this is true. Right. She Um, says, I I have no more knowledge of it than you do, which is mm -hmm. a real... It's a it's a real movement for her because the whole movie she's trying to, you know, instruct from on high uh, her mm-hmm. children. And she has now admitted that she has, you know, she's as in the dark about this as they are. And I think I just think that's really interesting for a horror movie to do. Yeah. Um, it also whole, this was the other thing I was I was getting to with the Channel Islands before I, as I often do, take several tangents away from the topic. Um, I'm rolling a map out of the ceiling. This is your history <laughs> lesson for today geography following the gingerbread crumbs back from where i started but no i thought there were definite um isolationist uh allusions to this when she's Mm -hmm. when she's talking to her husband about why did you have to go to the war your place was at the home um there you had no business being in the war obviously there's you know a lot of isolationist history with england they didn't want to enter the war yada yada and so this does also seem to have themes of you know Obviously, Grace and her kids are so isolated from the world that they literally cannot allow, she literally doesn't allow the light into the house Mm -hmm. when the children are around. She's trying to, you know, keep them so isolated and so closed off. And obviously, there's, you know, several historical kind of, you know, connections to that. And, And I like that that was a theme without, A, it ever becoming too explicit beyond you know, her, that one conversation she has mm-hmm. with her husband, but also that it just sort of just like lets it be as a theme and doesn't become like a lesson. It's also good. Okay. Let's it's talk also about good. Nicole There's Kidman, so many though. levels to it. Yes. Let's talk in about this Nicole. movie. Okay. I think if you're just talking that monologue, like that's that monologue, I think is one of the best things she's ever done. Um, it's the incredible. The one at the end, yes. Yeah. I like. I don't know how you like make emotional sense of that, and it's, you know, she just like tells the full story of Grace that like we haven't seen throughout the movie. However, when you rewatch it, her performance is filled with so many interesting things. There's a moment where she grabs a shotgun and she like looks at it weird, like, like you can see her getting this like sense of deja vu and then thinking to herself that's weird i don't know what that was and you don't really give it a moment's pause at the the first time you watch it but then when you rewatch it it's like you see things like that peppered throughout the movie Mm -hmm. you talked about the scene where like the secret comes out and there's not like a jolt of music or anything but it does cut to her face and like the look of horror on her face is not like realizing that that is true and remembering that she did it but it's more like watching somebody's most shameful secret be aired out into a room full of people right um it, I, she's so good in this movie. Like you, well, and that that sort of recurs when the scene, the very famous scene, when she walks into the room and it's the the creepy old lady under the veil, and you know, mm-hmm. I am your daughter, that whole kind of thing. But then she starts sort of throttling this old woman, saying, "You're not my daughter. You're not my daughter." And it turns out, you know, all of a sudden she throws her across the room, and it is, it's Anne, and mm-hmm. um, the look of sort of horror on her face that like. Oh, and you can tell there's a little bit of recognition there. Like, oh, have I, you know, A, have I traumatized this little girl? But B, just like, when, you know, the girl's like, you're mad, you're mad. Like, there's obviously that hits her 
harder than what just a normal like kid like yelling things at her mom right like Mm -hmm. the idea that she could be going mad keeps sort of intruding into her uh her consciousness Mm -hmm. also it's such a great she's styled so well there's so the costume this movie in in this movie are fantastic everything she wears is so incredibly repressive you know what i mean these mm -hmm. just sort of just like um like and, she can't inhale properly. Yeah. Yes. Know? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, there's so many. The the cinematography in this movie is fantastic. The cinematographer. I'm going to get pronounce this wrong. It's Javier Aguirre-Sarobe. Like I. Mm. Um. Fantastic. Fantastic cinematography. There are so many scenes of you'll see like Grace looking out the window and her face is reflected in the window. And it looks so ghostly. It looks so mm-hmm. incredibly. Um, the, oh, there was another uh, scene that I thought was like that where. Um, oh, yeah. Or just like when before the scene where it looks like the little girl's the old woman, where Grace sort of outfits her in this outfit with a veil. And the girl under the veil looks like she's like halfway disappearing under, like behind mm-hmm. that veil. It's just so incredibly well shot. And so. I don't know. And Ugh. pulling off the illusion that there's no light in the space. Right. There's you so know. many scenes that are only lit by candlelight, and they all yeah. look perfect. There's never... It's never that kind of murky darkness. You know where a lot of movies um, just make it as murky as possible so that like you'll go crazy trying to figure out what's in the scene? And like sometimes mm-hmm. that can be used very effectively. Honest, obviously, Hereditary is like the great example of that, of just sort of like peering into the memory, darkness yeah. and, you know, do I, am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? But like in the others, the only times when you're like, it's, 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 it's used very sparingly, but very effectively when you're asked to sort of like look into a corner. Do I see Victor? Do I see that little boy in the corner that, that, uh, Anne says that scene where she's trying to convince the little brother that Victor's in the room with them. And he's just like, no, 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 I don't want to know is so incredibly effective and creepy because it does seem plausible that Anne is doing this as a voice to scare her brother. Cause mm-hmm. she also seems like kind of a little shit. But like she sucks. <laughs> I love her, but like I hear you. Um, I'm sad that that actress never got to do anything after this because I thought she was so good. Oh yeah, like their performances are good, but they're playing little shitheads, little um, monsters, little little monsters, little British monsters. And also, did you did you uh, read? I was uh, reading about in sort of the trivia about this movie that like they really kept those kids out of sunlight during that shoot so that they could be as pale as possible, <laughs> which like I think is so funny because it's just like you're treating these children like veal cattle just because you need them to be as pale as possible for these scenes. And it's just like it's goddamn effective because they are absolutely ghostly white in this movie. Opaque. Yeah. It's uh, also... Finola Flanagan is so incredibly good in this movie to the point where I almost want to go back and like stump for her as a supporting actress candidate because she's she's the performance that most changes when you watch it the first time versus subsequent times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she, she's so you think she's so creepy the first time you watch this movie. You think she's so threatening. She obviously like any time like a character shows up on your doorstep unexpectedly you're always going to have suspicion of it but she has this sort of like 
authority when she talks about she obviously you know they've known this house before and she's you know giving this advice to grace that always seems very judgy but like you watch it the second time and like her act knowing her actual intentions it gives this really really cool depth to how she plays all of these scenes Mm-hmm. and just like yeah there's a, a warmth to what she's doing the thing is <laughs> you say you want to stump for her as a supporting actress candidate and it's like there wasn't really a campaign for her in any way no. but the thing that i always wish we had access to or could find we talk about uh, old school entertainment weekly a lot on this podcast but yes. whenever they would do their predictions and for like each category list like 20 or 30 mm-hmm. names out there i know they listed Fanula flanagan on that year well she deserves because i be remember bad. that she deserved I don't it she's she, really good she's i'm great. surprised um, she, i'm surprised they couldn't scrounge up like a bafta nomination for her because sometimes the baftas will go and you know find anybody but this is the thing the oscar nominations in that category that year were plenty british already because you had maggie mm-hmm. smith and helen mirren from gosford park you had kate winslet from iris so um and then if i'm looking at the bafta nominees <laughs> they nominated those three obviously jennifer Connolly for a beautiful mind who's the oscar winner who won the bafta and then the fifth nominee at the baftas for supporting actress that year Judy Dench for the shipping news. So, who <laughs> was also nominated? I want to say for SAG, right? Uh, maybe Critics' Choice, but yes, definitely SAG. Judy Dench could have very easily been like sixth place supporting actress that yeah. year. Cannot wait until we talk about the shipping news. We have been threatening our listeners with talking about the shipping news since our existence. Yep, she was nominated for the SAG. That was the year that the SAG nominees in supporting actress. The only crossover with the Oscars was Helen Mirren for Gosford Park mm. because uh, Jennifer Connelly went lead for A Beautiful Mind. Helen Mirren then wins for Gosford Park and like no Tomei, no uh, Winslet, no Maggie Smith, which is like so surprising. So your other four nominees at SAG that year for Supporting Actress were Kate Blanchett and Bandits, who I think was a Globe nominee. Um, Judy in Dench lead. In, right, in lead. Judy Dench mm-hmm. in the Shipping News, Cameron Diaz in Vanilla Sky, who was also a Globe nominee, and Dakota Fanning for I Am Sam, which was a performance that was kind of on the outskirts of that category. This was the movie that everybody that was just like, look at this little girl. She seems like a grown-up. It's real weird. Because <laughs> that was her whole thing. That was the whole thing in the movie is, oh, the little girl is the grown-up, and her father is, you know, the childlike one. And um, that was the whole sort of, like, conceit of I Am Sam. And so the whole Dakota Leading Fanning Leading to thing. the SNL bit of Amy Poehler playing Dakota, <laughs> yes. the Dakota Fanning show where she's, like, talking about Tchaikovsky uh, or something. The best, the best ideas in that sketch were she would have other child stars on and they would behave like children and she would and have no <laughs> patience for them. cannot relate. It's yeah. so great. Yes. How old were you when you first got your nomination? Me? Well, you, you, you certainly would have thought that I had been nominated several times. I mean, after all, I portrayed the daughter of a mentally challenged individual, and I am Sam, and then the victim of a brutal kidnapping in Man on Fire. I did a funny dance. <laughs> yes! That must have been very challenging. A friend of mine once told me, it's not about the awards, it's about honing your craft. 
and that friend was Mr. Bob De Niro. Is that the guy from Meet the Fockers? <laughs> no, he's the guy from Mean Streets. You're grumpy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little out of sorts. I didn't have my post Pilates nap. Here, Dakota, have some juice. <laughs> That's much better. Thank you, Catherine. Okay, you can just call me mom. <laughs> so, Abigail, what features are you working on now? I play a doll that comes to life, and I'm about to do another movie with a talking hamster. <laughs> I get raped in my next movie. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we return, we'll discuss upcoming negotiations in the Screen Actors Guild. Reggie, try to keep up. Hey, hey what? Shut the hell up. We'll be right back. Oh, yeah, what a weird year. What a weird, 2001, 2001 movie awards were, were a time and a half. Kind of all over the place because it, not unpredictable because it was like A Beautiful Mind was always going to happen and probably Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly were always going to happen throughout the race. But like the kind of example that you gave just for SAG supporting actress, like it never is our major acting categories in such flux, including obviously best actress where we're talking about this, where it's like this hand wringing of which one will Nicole Kidman get nominated for, which you would think on paper it would be, well, obviously Moulin Rouge, but like the way that it shook out, like BAFTA. That's very, you have to really like, you look backwards and it makes sense. But like Mm -hmm. at the time Moulin Rouge was not, you know, as I mentioned before, not a sure thing anyway. So Mm -hmm. it was all in flux. Yeah. BAFTA was onto something though, because at least they gave this movie a screenplay nomination too. Mm -hmm. And like, this is an iron glad screenplay. Yeah. In my opinion, it's, we've pointed out all of the reasons though. It's like original screenplay, was kind of all over the place this year. Like, maybe I'm just thinking that because Monsters Ball getting that screenplay nomination. Yeah. The Oscar lineup, Gosford Park wins, Monsters Ball, Amelie, Memento, and the Royal Tenenbaums. Well, so this sort of, this enters into a thing I did want to talk about, about the movies of 2001. I think when we talk about, like, the great movie years, we talk a lot about 1999. We talk a lot about... Uh, 2007 as being these like you know fantastic mm-hmm. deep years for great movies I think the two most underrated movie years of sort of my adult lifetime are 2004 and 2001 I think 2001 is really underrated for and I think part of that may be that you know A Beautiful Mind does win Best Picture so it sort of you know mm-hmm. tricks the mind a little bit but like All those other Best Picture nominees are fucking fantastic. Fellowship of the Ring, In the Bedroom, Moulin Rouge, Gosford Park. And then, like, you really, you go into the deep bench of 2001. Memento, you mentioned, a screenplay nominee. Royal Tenenbaums, a screenplay nominee. Mulholland Drive's a director nominee. But then you go, like, off the Oscar map entirely, and you get stuff like... Donnie Darko, Waking Life. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Devil's Backbone. The Coen's movie that year was really good. The Man Who Wasn't There, but like really like weird and odd. Kissing Jessica Stein is 2001. Um, Artificial Intelligence. AI is like that year. And that movie was like the Spielberg movie that was too weird for people. So like that's very cool. Even stuff like A Knight's Tale, which like is very sort of like populist popcorny stuff but like is doing some weird fucking shit like that's mm-hmm. you know 
Session 9 is that year. It's a really, really interesting year for movies. And so I think when you talk about original screenplay, that's the category that that's going to get most reflected, like has the best chance of Mm -hmm. getting reflected in at the Oscars. And I think that's why it was such a, you know, a tough one to crack. Yeah. And The Others fully fits in with all those other movies. It was just sort of just like all this like cool genre shit is happening at the at the edges of this movie year. I, I'm going through some of these craft categories too, and it's just like I, I understand why they're nominating Amelie and Harry Potter and Fellowship of the Ring so much and Gosford Park as well, but it's just like it's a lot of the same movies mentioned over and over in 2001. So like I think the other thing about the 2001 Oscar year that like you don't consider it that much is because there isn't that much variety in there yeah. that would make something like the others really like stand out and be appreciated more. Yeah. Lord of the Rings gets 13 nominations, A Beautiful Mind and Moulin Rouge, eight apiece, Gosford Park, seven. And all of those movies are design forward. Like even A Beautiful Mind, it's, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. period setting and, you know, but there is. It's it, not shot by Roger Deakins very possibly it didn't get a nomination deacons was nominated for the man who wasn't there which was this like immaculate black and white cinematography Mm -hmm. it just looked so 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 good um a beautiful mind let me see cinematography roger deacons got you very good yeah it like so like the yeah those all those best picture nominees were um with i guess the exception of in the bedroom which is your standard sort of screenplay and acting best picture nominee that but, movie still doesn't get the consideration that it deserves. No, I mean, it's like it's an intimate drama that's twenty years old, so like you can see why it's not top of mind for a lot of conversations. But it's but so good. I think it's a mo- that and Moulin Rouge are among the best uh, best picture nominees of the past twenty years. Yeah, and those yeah those are the ones that didn't get the director nominations. Mm-hmm. But again, it's tough to. I mean, whatever. Like, I'm not a giant Black Hawk Down fan, so like I don't. You know, I'm not gonna flip my top over Ridley Scott getting nominated for Best Director, but like Lynch for Mulholland Drive, we've talked about this before, um, the lone, when your only nomination is Best Director, I fucking love that. And he's done it twice. And he's done it twice. Yep. Only David Lynch. Rules. Also, the other thing we didn't talk about with the, with the others is uh, Tom Cruise is a producer on this movie. Like, the production mm-hmm. history of this movie is fascinating. Tom Cruise sees uh Alejandro Amenabar's Abre Los Ojos options it to be remade in English. It becomes Vanilla Sky. He ends up, you know, keeping Penelope Cruz, and obviously uh, they end up having a relationship. That's his sort of like rebound relationship from Nicole, which also happens in 2001. But in between um, optioning Abre Los Ojos and making Vanilla Sky, he also reads the screenplay for the others and decides he wants to produce this movie him and paula wagner uh are producers on this movie and then they cast nicole and then as all like as the movie is being filmed and post-production and all this sort of stuff the Cruz kidman marriage is disintegrating for whatever reasons that you know are have been like frequently speculated i think in one of the Scientology documentaries when somebody mentioned how like they were put on the task of 
like surveilling Nicole Kidman and she was named a I think Leah Remini at one point mentioned that one of Tom and Nicole's adopted kids like was just like oh my mom's an SP like all this sort of stuff was just like the you know you're you get the sense that with and Nicole's never talked about this but that like Scientology mm-hmm. was a major impediment in their marriage and was a big cause of that ending the two kids now Isabella and Connor are Scientologists they sort of stayed allied with their father throughout the divorce Nicole doesn't always talk about them it's not that she never talks about them because that's untrue but like certain things will happen like she'll you know win an award and mention her children and she'll only mention her kids with with Keith Urban and Mm -hmm. it's a real wild thing that at some point I mean it's probably none of my business but like I would love like a tell-all like you know down to the brass tacks of like what happened there and it ends with those triumphant uh, photos that are everywhere of her, like, basking in the <laughs> yes! sun, walking away in a yep. floral top. With her, Like, you can't even think of those pictures. I'm doing the arms that she has in uh-huh. the photo right now. Yep. No one has ever it. looked more joyful. I can see it. It also just looks like she, like, finished running a marathon, too. Just, like, it's that kind I of I mean, triumph. maybe she did. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's the other thing is just, like, you know, add to that the rumors that, like, was Tom gay? Like, was, you know, what's, you know, ev- everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. All the elements of that. Totally fascinating. And, and after they'd, like, spent a year filming a Stanley Kubrick movie together. Yeah, which, like, very like, well may have, like, like, broken them down, <laughs> you know, and been approximate cause of something. Like, And yeah. I don't know if he talks about that movie that much, but, like, she has nothing but, like, gushing things to say about that experience. I've never read her saying anything vaguely untoward about that movie or working right. with Stanley Kubrick. Right. Um, well, that's like, so like, Eyes Wide Shut's a good excuse for me to sort of like delve into the Kidman filmography for a second because mm-hmm. it really is fascinating. We talked a little bit during the Naomi miniseries about uh, Nicole in Aussie movies. She's in the um, the boarding school movie Flirting. That's the boarding school movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sort of like that's the one with uh, Tandy Newton and Noah Taylor. And noted Nicole. heartthrob Noah no, Taylor. Noted heartthrob Noah Taylor. Um, before that, Lady Killer. Yeah, that was that was the, that was the weird thing I mentioned. That before that um, is Dead Calm, where she plays like wife to Sam Neill, and then like two years later, she's playing like a boarding school student. Anyway, crosses over into the United States, gets an early Golden Globe nomination for. Um, the Robert Benton movie, Billy Bathgate, in mm-hmm. 1991. Notorious Bomb. Right, Notorious Bomb, but, like, she gets good enough reviews to get a Golden Globe nomination. So clearly, like, they're, they're, someone's positioning her to be a star, right? Far mm-hmm. and Away happens in 1992. We've talked about Far and Away. She moves, she, you know, puts a little ceramic bowl over Tom Cruise's uh, penis and then peeks under it, and it's a whole thing. Um, my, I, Did that get, like, a cinematography or a score nomination? We should absolutely do Far and Away at some point. We, I think we can. I don't think it did get anything. You can maybe look that up. Um, that would be a blast. Um, Malice in 1993, which is, like, really, like, fascinating. Aaron Sorkin scripted. Uh, Alec Baldwin plays the sort of... Uh, God complex surgeon. Obviously, that great scene where she, you know. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. 
I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, you go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church and with any luck you might win the annual raffle, but if you're looking for God... He was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. Do you say I have a God complex? I am God. That whole thing. Then 1995 is the is her first big sort of like turning point year where she's in Batman Forever as Dr. Chase Meridian, the breathiest person who ever spoke a word, <laughs> and is like a giant box office hit. Like I cannot describe how all per, all pervasive the marketing for Batman Forever was, especially as a teenager at the time. That movie was inescapable. That was the inescapable. Thing. It was like, it, it, box office records are so intangible like these days because it's like if you don't make two hundred million dollars in right. opening if weekend, if you don't no one set cares. a record, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But like, it it was like the record breaker and like state like people didn't stop seeing that movie. Um, yeah, Batman Forever kind of rules. She is. Drag excellence in She's that movie. Wild, like horny uh, psychologist. Um, very horny. Very horny um, for bats. Like it's a whole fucking thing. And Chase Meridian is like <laughs> fully an iconic name. Yes, her name sounds like a credit card. We should rename um, the Prime Meridian the Chase Meridian just because <laughs> Chase Meridian. Uh, um, I read your work. Insightful, naive but insightful. I'm flattered. Not every girl makes a superhero's night table. Can we reason with him? He's holding innocent people up there. It won't do any good. He'll slaughter them without thinking twice. Agreed. A trauma powerful enough to create an alternate personality leaves the victim... In a world where normal rules of right and wrong no longer apply. Exactly. Like you. Well, let's just say I could write a hell of a paper on a grown man who dresses like a flying rodent. Bats aren't rodents, Dr. Meridian. Really? I didn't know that. You are interesting. And call me Chase. Yeah, truly fantastic. And like, is it great acting? I don't know. But it's just yes. like, it's, it's, it's movie starness personified. And then so then later on 95, she does the Gus Van Sant movie To Die For, which is the first big, I didn't think Nicole Kidman could do that. Because there was definitely... Uh, she meets Tom Cruise on Days of Thunder in 1990. They get together. They get married. And there was a definite sense from that point on of Nicole Kidman is pretty and maybe not a great actress. Like, I remember that being, like, a definite thing, that she was Tom Cruise's mm-hmm. wife, that she was getting these roles because she was Tom Cruise's wife, and, you know, and maybe she's not a very good actress. And then To Die For changes everything she slays that changes everything and changes like her as a performer and what she looks for in material because she has always said 
that she, it's not necessarily about the role, it's about the director that she goes for. And it's Gus Van Sant, it's one of the first, like, auteurs that she works with. And, yep. like, ever since then, you can look at her career and see, maybe not around this peak Oscar time, because she does things like The Stepford Wives where and Bewitched, where she's, sure. you know, it's more about the product than the director, some of it, when she's trying to do these, like, studio movies. But, like... Gus Van Sant's, like, the first one. But even those movies, like Stepford Wives and Bewitched, were, like, interspersed with birth and fur. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just, like, she's yeah. she's still doing, like, you know, wild and crazy shit. Has she and Joaquin ever done a movie together after To Die For? I don't think so, I don't think but so I, I think I remember, like, an interview where she mentioned it in this past Oscar season because he was winning for Joker and such, and mentioning, like, was it him or mentioned her... Something about them working together, and it's like, oh yeah, she they really worked should. with him when he was like eighteen years old. They really should work together again. Like he's he's you know notably not my favorite, but like even still, I think that mm-hmm. would be a fantastic repairing. Um, she wins, nominated for Golden Globe for a musical or comedy, wins that year. She wins, yeah, and which is... against this category, this category fully rules. You can see why she won Rattle too, it because off. it has like the like it's maybe a movie that was taken a little bit more seriously and probably was more in the oscar race than some of these others annette benning for the american president fantastic awesome. sandra bullock while you were sleeping my favorite sandra bullock performance she should have been oscar nominated for it tony collette in muriel's wedding incredible vanessa redgrave in something of course titled a month by the lake <laughs> um don't know what that is you can fully imagine Vanessa Redgrave being in several <laughs> movies called A Month by the Lake. Um, <laughs> a Month by the Lake. Wait, who directed that movie? Do you have any idea? Uh, someone named John Irvin. All it right. also stars Uma Thurman. Amazing. Um, <laughs> the poster that is on IMDb, it is Uma <laughs> and Vanessa Redgrave's floating heads above, I'm guessing, a lake where these people are having wine <laughs> at the lake. amazing 1995 is famously we've talked about this before for sure a fantastic best actress year at the oscars that's sarandon for dead man walking elizabeth shoe for leaving las vegas sharon stone casino she won the golden globe uh streep in um bridges of madison county and emma thompson in sense and sensibility like cracking that top five was going to be tough and there were some phenomenal runners up you mentioned sandra bullock you mentioned um annette benning obviously nicole kidman was maybe like trying to guess who finished sixth that year is really interesting but i think kidman is as good as probably anyone she really really came close to getting an oscar nomination and i think from that point her um her it begins with to die for with her being taken more seriously and an oscar narrative yes follows that up with um jane campion's the portrait of a lady she doesn't get nominated but barbara hershey does so it's like it's inching kind of closer right um then Mm -hmm. 1997 98 it's it's two big um commercial movies the peacemaker which makes a ton of money and practical magic which doesn't but it should have because it's fucking great. Um, her and Sandra Bullock, speaking of co-stars who Nicole Kidman should work with, again, that would be fantastic. And then Eyes Wide Shut in 99, which I remember being absolutely stone-cold certain that that was going to get her her first Best Actress nomination. 
And that is not mm-hmm. a particularly hotly contested Oscar year because Meryl got nominated for Music of the Heart. I love Meryl. I really, I love her in Music of the Heart, but that's that's a slot that could have been, you know, taken up. And it's weird that Kidman mm-hmm. never really did get anything for that movie. If you men only knew. It took a long time for that movie to kind of settle in it did. with a critical assessment because like they released that movie in the middle of the summer. Yep. There was so it, much press about it. There were so much like hanging There was over so much it. press about it. There was so much like for what the sex would be in that movie mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. it it was sold to a mass audience that was maybe unprepared for what that movie actually is. As but. somebody who was part of that mass audience at that moment, yes, that's true. I was not I was not ready for that. I still don't it's still not one of my favorite movies, but like I can certainly appreciate it a lot more now than I could then. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. She's incredible. In She's absolutely incredible. She absolutely deserves a nomination. One of her best performances. It's maybe a supporting performance. I don't know because it's, she spends so much time not in the movie. Um, yeah. It's also a famously arduous shoot, a famously long shoot. Like the fact that she doesn't make anything for about two years makes sense. You know what I mean? Out mm-hmm. With you know her personal life, she's probably a, essentially on call the whole time that the movie mm-hmm. was shooting. And Kubrick, like again, she's not in much. Kubrick had you know reportedly uh, played a lot of like psychological sort of like mind games with her and Cruz. Like there's there's a lot of it. Just didn't sound like it wouldn't 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 have been a fun time to be Nicole Kidman. Maybe even as she's like reaching these sort of like creative heights, right? Mm-hmm. So. The divorce from Tom happens, and then 2001 is just so incredible. It's not only that she's giving these two performances that are fantastic, even though they are, and but it's also that they come in such different genres, requiring such opposite ends of her the spectrum of her skill level, where Moulin Rouge is such a movie star thing. It's such a... You know, it's a heightened reality. She can do that. She's incredibly comfortable in that. And then the others is like the total opposite a end of it. Chamber piece. It's like a character yeah. performance almost. Yep. Um, of the two of them, which one would you have nominated? I mean, if who, what performance has the better cl- uh, like Oscar clip? I think it's the others. But what would I nominate? I would probably still nominate Moulin Rouge because like. The degree of difficulty and like the number of things she's tasked to do, I think, is higher yeah. than this. But like anyone who chooses the others is not over Moulin Rouge is not incorrect. Right, I would say. I think I every one every time I try and like advance an opinion on that, where I'm just like, well, she's technically more impressive in the others, and it's like, I don't know if that's if that is true. She's so impressive in Moulin Rouge. It's just so different and even in a year with so many incredible lead uh performances by actresses it's maybe the best case in my lifetime that the rule of you shouldn't you can't nominate two right performances by the same right performer is a stupid rule i can't yeah. think of another one that i would feel that strongly about it and i and I, and and because they there is so little overlap in in you know, in the performances, I think that would be totally true. I think there are, there's, and I think all things being considered, 
the fact that of the two of them, the sort of cheekier performance got nominated, I'm kind of happy about. You know, the fact that, like, for once, the more serious thing fell by the wayside and the fun Mm -hmm. one, you know, Moulin Rouge is definitely of the two of them, the fun one. But, I mean, sure, but you could also turn that around and say that people don't take the other seriously. Agreed. I absolutely would agree. Um, So, like, is it the serious thing? Um, I mean, I think kind of campaigning uh, Moulin Rouge, like, craft first, like, they tried to diminish how, like, bananas that movie is. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because even that Best Picture nomination was definitely not guaranteed. A lot of people right. still hate that movie. Yep. I don't and know. I can I do see think... why. It's not like I begrudge people who can't fuck with Moulin Rouge just because it's like it. it's a very p- particular thing. It's really, mm-hmm. it's a real Even people who optic. like Romeo plus Juliet it's that don't like Moulin Rouge. It's very much like... I'll do some coke, but I am not doing meth. Ah! Like that's that's what it is, right? Like, um, uh, Moulin Rouge is poppers personified. Let's let's say that. Like, sure, it's, sure, sure, sure. It's just like it's a constant re-upping of poppers. It's just sort of just like mm-hmm. we're just going to keep this going through the entire thing, and it's a conveyor belt underneath your nose. Truly, um, truly, it's amazing. This God. one has lavender. Um, <laughs> Oh, boy. Kylie Minogue. Um, oh, I want to go back to the BAFTAs for a second, because it is notable that the BAFTAs nominate Kidman for the others and not Moulin Rouge. And you might think, oh, maybe they just weren't into Moulin Rouge. But no, they're the ones who nominate Baz Luhrmann for director in addition to Best Picture. They mm-hmm. also nominate correctly and have uh, have him win Jim Broadbent for Moulin Rouge and not for Iris. That he's, should be what his Oscar is for. He's very good in Iris. They nominated him, actually, as a lead in iris which actually is also correct true he should be a lead in that movie uh he doesn't win uh, the bafta for lead but he does win the bafta for supporting for moulin rouge which is one million percent the right call he that should be you're right that should be his oscar Mm -hmm. i i will say i don't think that my opinion of like what i expressed of what i would nominate and like what i would think about other people's choices for it i don't think that's a unique opinion or wasn't at the time what's too. that what opinion and that i would nominate her for this but anybody who would nominate her for the um the different performance right isn't wrong and i think that really contributed to the idea of oh what if she doesn't get nominated for anything right because she wasn't SAG nominated, correct? Right. No, she was not SAG nominated at all, which um, part of that, I think, was that Jennifer Connelly does move mm-hmm. from supporting into lead for the SAGs, and that was definitely a performance that awards voters loved that year. So yeah, Kidman's the one that gets squeezed out, and I think that was, you're right, then the alarm bells went up and was just like, oh, she's going to split her vote. This isn't going to happen at all. Mm-hmm. And and I honestly don't think that she was very close to winning for Moulin Rouge. No. No, because she it was, was Halle Berry and even Spacek, like, neck and neck. Yeah. Maybe. I feel like... So you think Judy Dench got more nom- uh, got more votes for Iris than Nicole did? I think maybe... Um, I feel like Nicole Kidman was probably neck and neck with Renee Zellweger. Oh. We just talked last week about Nurse Betty and, like, I don't know if that 
Bridget Jones nomination doesn't happen without some momentum already. And it is like, it's true that like Renee Zellweger lost to Nicole Kidman for the uh, musical comedy globe. Right. But like people had a year to sit with that performance and praise it. I, I, I just don't think, I don't think either of them were close to second. I will put it that way. Right. My feeling at the time, and I still kind of do feel this way, is that the Renee nomination for Bridget Jones was definitely one of those the nomination is your reward kinds of things. So mm-hmm. um, I do feel like she was probably fifth. Again, this is all rampant speculation and my favorite kind. But I think I did... I, I I started to spin out one of those like what if scenarios where if what if Kidman did win what if like the you know the media campaign and the sort of zeitgeist of the moment was so in Nicole's favor that for some reason she won for Moulin Rouge and I think that's my scenario where shit oh where Halle Berry ends up winning her Oscar for Frankie and Alice. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a real time. It's a and then Beyonce gets nominated for Dreamgirls. That's the other thing that happens. So um it's a whole thing. I think I wrote about it for Vulture. I'm pretty sure. Sometimes I can't remember whether fantastic. um it was a, a thing that I've thought of was part of a thing that I wrote for Vulture or whether it's just like a fever. I thought dream you I wrote multiple of those things. You I definitely wrote, wrote if Sandra Bullock didn't win. Right. Right? If, yes. Yeah. If yeah, if uh Meryl beat Sandra Bullock for the Oscar in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, very fun. Very fun little game to play. The other thing about the SAG Awards that I was going to mention earlier is for as wild and wooly as those nominations are, and those nominations, again, include Judy Dench for The Shipping News, uh, Kevin Klein, <laughs> and Hayden Christensen for Life as a House. Um, oh, boy. And Dakota we got to f- talk Life as a House at some we point. We do. We really do. Can I tell you? Oh, my God. All right. We're not going to get into it now, but I'm just going to say I was significantly horny for Hayden Christensen during this point. That movie career. plays a lot of peekaboo, I think, with both of their, like, bodies, mm, yeah, right? Like, yep. Kevin Klein is basically naked in that movie. Hayden Christensen is, I believe, basically Hayden Christensen, naked in that movie. Hayden Christensen has blue hair and is in the shower in that movie. And I, at all of, I want to say it was probably 20, was just, like, closeted 22. Closeted and like... A young twenty, but was just very much just like boy yo 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 yoing about that. <laughs> it's not a thing I continue to be proud of. But anyway, um, for all of that wildness, the five uh, ensemble nominees that year were the five best picture nominees: Gosford Park, Beautiful Mind, In the Bedroom, Lord of the Rings, Moulin Rouge. Gosford Park wins the SAG because its cast mm-hmm. is fucking enormous and half of the industry yes and and is a very well-deserved win that's a fantastic ensemble cast everybody is doing tip-top work even ryan Philippi, especially people who like can't get nominated like kristen scott thomas kristen scott know. thomas tom hollander like i'm looking at like everybody who got on that like this is richard e. Grant, um charles dance alan bates stephen fry jeremy northam like it's a really really uh, fantastic cats. Remember how good Emily Watson was in Gosford Park, and she couldn't get arrested in supporting actress because she's like behind two of her other co-stars. Ditto Eileen Atkins, Shade mm-hmm. Queen, Shade Queen Eileen Atkins. Yes, <sighs> I love it. Yeah, what a year! Two thousand one's a really, really interesting year. I really, I will uh, stump for it. Back to the Often others, and maybe. repeatedly. What else about the others have we not discussed? Talked about Tom Cruise. Talked about the children. One thing I will bring up, because you brought up the Nicole Kidman trajectory. Yes. Do you remember when she was on 
Broadway in the Blue Room. I do. I didn't see it. Obviously, I wasn't in New York at the time, but I do remember hearing about it. It was like a whole thing. I I looked it up because like that was like this whole publicity blitzkrieg and mm-hmm. part of you know, the trajectory of Nicole Kidman being taken seriously as an actress. I looked it up. It ran for like two months. It was an incredibly limited run. Um, but like they made a big deal out of it because she was topless on stage. Right. And like that um, didn't she didn't she didn't get any kind of like Tony attention for that, right? No, because it opened early in the season. Right. But I do think she got good reviews for it. Um, even though like the show was treated more of like, look at this like right. not spectacle, but like No, but it's a curiosity. Not an art. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it I always conflate that with um Julia Roberts in Three Days of Rain. Which also yeah, was one like, that she didn't get a Tony nomination for, even though a lot of people thought her stardom and, would carry through. And she didn't get good reviews either. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. I remember when Julia Roberts did Three Days of Rain and like the knives out for, were the knives were out for everyone in like reviews for her. Like I remember seeing like message boards where like people were tearing her apart because she like dropped a prop and this is why she's yeah. not professional or something. Yeah, people really, really were out to get her for that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I'm going through my little notes here. Just little things about that movie. The thing where Fanola Flanagan talks about the Lydia, the mute woman. She's, you know, mm-hmm. she's she's older than she looks. And, like, those little lines that play very differently um, mm-hmm. later. Again, love a movie with ironclad rules like this about, you know, the doors and the curtains. And you know, you knew that something was going to be up with the doors. You knew that something was going to be, like, up. And it's a little bit of a misdirect. Again, first time watching this, I remember being very, very certain that the big twist was going to be that, like, the kids weren't photosensitive at all. And mm-hmm. and you do get that moment where they wake up and the curtains are gone and the kids are screaming, but they're fine. Like, they're not hurt. Yeah, you expect their flesh to be burning right. or something. And then so you do... I remember thinking at the time, like, aha, she's she's lying to them. And it's... Not that. The kids were photosensitive in life. They're just not anymore because they're dead. The thing about mansion movies... I don't know the thing about mansion movies. I'm just thinking about it again because, like, you mentioned these scenes and I'm just, like, thinking of all these rooms. Like, you just want to, like... This is a haunted house that I want to live in and I want to encounter a ghost. I, like other like spooky scary type of like movies i don't know where i'm going with this um i just want to meet an old-timey you ghost, want to meet a ghost in victorian clothing yeah um, I, hear you. And I that... made you watch um the little stranger recently and i yes. never followed up did you like that movie listeners you should watch the little stranger it's not really a horror movie it's more of like a gothic character study but it's yes. another one of these like musty mansion movies that i'm talking about it's donald a, gleason is great in it it's sort of the anti-twist movie and that like what you think is happening is what's happening like it's not it mm-hmm. doesn't really like do a whole lot to hide what's at play in the movie and it's just sort of, like, scary that way uh dom gleason's really good ruth wilson's really good um there's some really creepy scenes what's his name um that boy who's so weirdly popular in England, Will Poulter, is is really good, and and the makeup on him—he's a burn victim—is like very very good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. that kind of movie. It's definitely for sure that kind of movie. Um, the other one that I haven't seen was the 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 new version of The Innocence that uh, the turning. 
the turning with Mackenzie Davis right. and yes. um, Brooklyn Prince. The movie is basically just about how uh, Brooklyn Prince um, annoys Mackenzie Davis mm-hmm. into terror. Um, That's both I of them based liked on it. the turning of the screw. Obviously, the yeah, turn of the screw. it's maybe not good, but I liked it. Yeah, I want to see it. Another Musty Mansion movie. Musty Mansion movie. But, um, I want to bring the phrase cowardy, cowardy custard back into um, modern usage at some point. Oh my God. I, just, I want to, I just want to taunt somebody with that just because it's funny. Again, your most That's hated character. That's the point in the movie where I am like, these children fully <laughs> suck. I can't I with the cowardy, it. cowardy custard scene. I love scene. it. I love it. That's when I want to throw my viewing device out into the street. So. <laughs> I want to talk about Alejandro Amenabar for a second, not only because um, he does such a great job directing this movie, but also because he is a cutie pie. Um, we talked and about like danced around Oscar, um, yeah. in a couple movies. Abre los ojos, nineteen ninety-seven, um, uh, gets remade as Vanilla Sky. The others in two thousand one should have gotten more attention than it did, and then he does the does the sea inside win the foreign language film oscar in 2004 yes it's also nominated for makeup and javier bardem Came was close. probably close yes. yeah was he globe nominated yes he was okay um yeah absolutely definitely came close it definitely feels like at that point amenabar amenabar is an interesting uh person too that he uh apparently he and his family fled chile like right before the uh the pinochet ascendancy in chile Mm. he's 18 months old apparently he had gone like momentarily mute for a year at 18 months that he had just like he had started talking and then he stopped talking uh for a while from the you know the tumult of terrifying moving to uh across the world essentially he moves to spain um tom cruise was the one who sort of insisted that uh the others be in English, be an English language movie. And mm-hmm. Amenabar filmed most of it in Spain, in Madrid, I mm-hmm. believe. Except for, I think the one exception is the scene where she's out on the grounds walking through, walking down the path and it gets all foggy. I think that was filmed uh, at an English So estate. it was shot in a, on a set. It was not. No, they found a real the mansion. mansion. They found like the oh, wow. one Victorian mansion in Spain and and filmed it there, I believe, from what I'd read. And um he didn't speak English at the time. He like, you know, had an interpreter fully. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's I think it's an incredibly impressive thing. And then so his follow-up to The Sea Inside, it's like five years later. I remember being very, very anticipatory of it. He makes a movie called Agora, which is about a uh, sort of philosopher-Christian um, or, or uh, philosopher, sort of like mathematician, rather, in ancient Egypt, played by Rachel Weiss, And... It did nothing. Like, <laughs> nobody saw it. It did have Oscar buzz, for sure, but, like, way mm-hmm. long lead Oscar buzz. And then it really... I just... think it was, like, a Toronto premiere, maybe? Yeah, it was such a quiet... released until the next year. Yeah, yeah, yes. It was such a quiet premiere. Nobody really talked about it. Oscar Isaac's in it. Max Minghella's in it. Uh, I should see it at some point, because I do love Rachel Weisz and Oscar Isaac a lot. But... Um, Definitely a disappointment. And then from there, 
he makes a movie called doesn't make another feature for another like six years makes a movie called regression with ethan hawk as a police detective and emma watson is also in this movie and it's supposedly me, terrible yeah it reminds me of like ethan hawk does more movies than you think and it's that like he'll make like that one with selena gomez or like just like just movies that like sort of disappear into nothingness but yeah it's supposedly yeah he never stops working really bad and then most recently he made a spanish language film called while at war um which takes place in the 1930s i want to say in spain but like i didn't see it so i don't really know it was that last year's tiff and i heard nothing about yes it. that's another one where it was just like it was a very 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 quiet um quiet premiere and didn't really go anywhere so um it's kind of too bad i you know this is obviously an incredibly talented filmmaker you wonder what kinds of opportunities he did and didn't get in the wake of something like the others i'm surprised Mm -hmm. that his follow-up to the others i guess i'm not surprised but i think it's probably notable that his follow-up to the others is another Spanish language movie, and that probably sort of maybe took him out of the the sort of like American filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, environment. And he just had trouble. Or maybe he never into- wanted to really right. make English language films in the first place, right? Right. Because I mean, you mentioned he had to be convinced to film this movie in English. Yeah. Um, it's a bummer that the foreign language film Oscar goes. To literally to the country and not mm-hmm. the filmmaker even though the filmmaker is the one who accepts the award um because it would be it would be nice to you know to know that he has an oscar mm-hmm. somewhere in his home or something like that i don't know exactly but yeah i really like him i would love for him to make a a movie of some note again perhaps with um another musty mansion love a musty mansion ladies and gentlemen welcome to the states musty mansion yeah oh yeah but the other thing about the others was i think initially he wanted to set it in chile which would have again you know Uh, it would have had a whole other level of contextualization yep 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 i think but i think it's incredibly impressive that he does provide the levels of context in the others from a culture that is not his you know what i mean just like he Mm -hmm. he really does like get to a lot of really interesting stuff for setting it in the, in the Channel Islands in England and that kind of thing. So. Well, I mean, that's actually really interesting because if it did have some type of like personal component going back to when his family had to flee mm-hmm. um, or some type of relation to that, um, it, it speaks to like what really works about this movie so much is the actual human story behind like the horror elements of it, right? Or yeah. at least for me, I think like... I don't know. And that's like when you talk about like these type of gothic horrors, like it's really not like the ghosts and stuff that make it what it is in the genre. It's whatever the human dynamic is. Yeah. Yeah. I love this movie. I really, really love it. I Watching it again, I was so happy about it. I was surprised at how many prominent critics didn't. Like Ebert didn't love this movie. A.O. Scott gave it a negative review. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wesley Morris gave it a negative review, and I think a lot of the criticisms of it were 
a lot of criticisms that you see about people who don't love quote unquote elevated horror movies today about mm-hmm. how it's all anticipation and no follow through. It withholds too much. It's too distant. It's too cold. Like all this kind of stuff. Which I don't feel that about this movie at all. I don't either. Though. Somebody else. Some, like, those I, are weird. One of the reviews said that it just like it was it was a slog and that it was too long. I think this is a very fairly brisk movie. Yeah, this movie flies by. I mean, it, it's probably one of those like victims to like what people are contextualizing the movie against, like. Uh, August is always weirdly seen as this horrible month for movies. Um, So it's like you feel like there's this sense of like sometimes that people just expect things to be bad. We talked about The Sixth Sense and how like that kind of overshadowed this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like people are bringing some type of baggage to the movie that doesn't hold water with the movie itself to me. I also think just people tend to have more strict requirements for something like a horror movie where mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of I think that's a genre that comes in with a lot of preconceptions and a lot of demands. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That you need a movie yeah. to deliver something specifically for you. And if it doesn't make you feel a certain way, a comedy, I guess, is the same thing, right? Was just like, well, I didn't laugh. So what are you going to do? I wasn't scared. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like that's sort of, you know, it's tough to argue your way around that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I'm also a person who fucking loves all the elevated horror movies of of recent vintage. (laughs) So like I'm, I'm probably your target audience for something like this. The I, I hate that term, but like yes, the elevated horror movies that are actually comedies. I kind of um, don't. I, have we had this argument before about how I really don't hate that term, and I think it's actually fairly useful. And I think that the people who I argue loudest against it feel to me, and this is I'm not obviously talking about you, but like it feels defensive in a way of just sort of just mm-hmm. like you're not smarter than me, and it's just like we're not saying we're smarter than you. It's just like there is definitely I think some value in differentiating. A, that kind of horror movie from something that is more visceral. I guess what I why I don't like it is because a lot of this discussion of elevated horror is saying like, oh well, this movie is doing something. This has like ideas about character, or it has a theme, or something, and it's not just like killing people. And like when you try to hold that against. I guess, finger quotes, more traditional or straightforward horror, I don't think that that type of assessment is true. It's not true of something like The Others. It's not true of something like Scream. Even something that's like a cheesy horror movie or like might have some bad performances in it, like Nightmare on Elm Street has ideas and has like a point of view, you know? Yes, but like... It's about something. I love Scream as much as any. I love Scream. I think that is both the movie and the franchise. I am fine saying that that is not elevated horror, and I don't think it diminishes the movie to say that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're just a little more thought. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am. Joseph. Yes. We are now a full episode closer to our 100th episode. <gasps> My God. I'm so excited. 
I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Um, <laughs> all of those things. Everything that, all of those things, that Elizabeth Berkley all of ever those said things. came true. And yeah. perhaps it is a movie that will make you feel a lot of different things. Uh, people certainly did feel a lot of things about it. Indeed. Might be about a lot of different things. It is, I think. I'm excited to talk about what I think it is about because I have very concrete opinions on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I'm excited. Do you want to play the IMDb game? I think so. Yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDb game Why is? Why don't if I? They are not aware already. Exactly. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints. If that is not clear enough, we have Victor and his uh, psychic <laughs> woman show up to realize we've been dead this whole time. Victor! Victor, come out! Uh, one, my last note on the movie before we actually do the game is when you actually see Victor at the end of the movie, he looks like a bratty little kid. He does. And Victor is, like, mean the whole time. And I get that there are, like, ghosts in his house, but, like, when you see him at the end, I was like, I knew you would look like a little There is the point Victor. in the bedroom where he's like, you don't know who my parents are! And it's just like, shut up, Victor! Yeah, shut up, you little British Nazi. <laughs> Ah, wow. You know that Victor and his family were, like, maybe not on the right side. They're just like, we're going to move here because it's the only place we can go now that the war is Shut up, Victor. (laughs) All right. Yes. So uh, what do we want to do? Do you want to guess first? Do you want to go first for IMDb game? How about I give first? Let's do it. Let's do it. I have a fun person for you. We're talking about the others, the movie where Nicole Kidman is a ghost or is haunted by ghosts and did not get an Oscar nomination. I have for you someone who not only was nominated, but won for interacting with ghosts. We are talking about Whoopi Goldberg. (gasps) Yes. Oh, my God. No television, not The View, no voiceover, not live. No television. No. All right. Uh, Well, Ghost. Ghost. Her Oscar win. The Color Purple. The Color Purple, another nomination for Whoopi. Sister Act. Sister Act, yes. Sister Act. She Globe nominated or she, she win the Globe for No, that? she was nominated. That would have been 92. So who would have won? Oh, Miranda Richardson won the Globe that year for Enchanted April. I don't think so. Whoopi so good. Sister Act is such a fucking good movie and she's so wonderful and I, I I know it's a generational thing and I know it's probably about what got shown on TV more but the people who say that Sister Act 2 is better than Sister Act 1 go get a lobotomy like I don't understand like it is here's the problem with Sister Act 2 it's the same the fucking central, movie why is she in a the rabbit? central conceit of it that they're like we're teachers now is absurd like they just went and got a teaching license and now they're all teachers the point Um, of sister act very absurd is that she's undercover she's hiding out at a convent because the mob is trying to kill her and she has to hide out in a convent that all gets resolved at the end of sister act one why is she a nun in sister act two it doesn't make sense and makes no sense has a very confusing she could still work with the nuns without dressing up as a nun however it's insane all of that being true, it is very strange to try to wrap your brain around it while watching that movie. You are insane. Sister Act 2 rules. It is fantastic. It is a great modern musical. It's fine. It's 
wonderful. It's, it's so good. So Strike One. I will also say though, what I think the reason is for all of my complaints is that this was a script that existed as something else, as the movie that it is, and they were trying to make a sequel, and they're like, "We have this script. Let's just change these characters." <laughs> When you watch that movie, I fully think it existed originally not as a sister act. It should have been Pitch Perfect 0.5. It fully, like, like, it's all religious music, obviously, but it fully invented the whole, like, glee, Pitch Perfect thing. I'm just saying, Sister Act 1 is my holy queen that I hail uh, often. Anyway... Oh, Maria. I'm three for three. You, you are three for three. You still have one movie Ooh. to guess, and you have no wrong answers. Yeah, I have no wrong answers, but this is where it gets tricky. Because there's, like, it's not going to be any of those 90s comedies that she starred in that, like, are pretty forgettable, like Eddie or whatever. Um, but, like, what's another... I have absolutely know what Theodore Rex you are talking about. <laughs> Um, is it Jumpin' Jack Flash? No. Damn. Okay. All right, all right. Whoopi Goldberg. It's not going to be something like Ghosts of Mississippi. I'm trying to think of, like, other stuff maybe, like, from the 80s, but, like, 80s is always tricky to guess. And, like, she did fully, like, stop making movies a while ago. Whoopi Goldberg. And it's like not even like HBO, like one woman show stuff. Like No, that would have counted as TV. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <sighs> she doesn't have a big enough role in the player. Damn. This is really hard. Wait, is it Sistrek 2? It's Sister Act Motherfucker. 2. Motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I should have known! You got that just in time to get a perfect score. Uh, I'm so it mad is Sister Act 2. Proving that you are wrong. Sister Act 2 is awesome. God damn it. I should have known. I love also the poster of Sister Act 2. You have a good it's basically poker just face. Not like making giant any like, heels. squeaks or whatever while I'm... Oh, I've been fully dancing waiting for you to get to Sister Act 2. <laughs> oh, I am here just like... Grooving. What other stuff is on her is on her IMDb that like might have uh, showed up instead? I mean, she has a lot of small roles and things. She's been in Tyler Perry movies. Um, she was just in Nobody's Fool with um, uh, Tiffany Haddish. Is she in for Color Girls? Am I am I remembering yes. that? Yes. She's also in which Medea movie is she in? Um, is it Medea goes to jail? Yes, Medea goes to jail. Oh, she's credited as Whoopi. Whoopi, by the credited way, has herself the Oscars a lot. This for this uh, film year, two thousand one, that oh, uh, yes. Nicole Kidman was nominated, and she does, shows up in the Moulin Rouge outfit. Does a phenomenal job. Mere months after this was after the Emmys, this was like the big award show after nine eleven, and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of disparate tones that she has to really keep in balance in that Academy Awards. And it, by the way, that show went long as hell. That was like one of the really really long Oscars, and it's mm-hmm. such a delight. I rewatched it recently, and it's so. Good. Who came out and did the first like literally said. 
do movies still matter more than ever? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And of course, they cut to Nicole Kidman because they can't help themselves. They and she looked incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, that's true. Who do you have for me? Oh, so um, I went the Finola Flanagan route, of course, naturally. Um, the only other movie I really think of when I think of Finola Flanagan besides the others is the divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood because fantastic a a movie packed with uh actressing talent ellen burston sandra bullock maggie smith doing a hilarious accent finola flanagan doing a hilarious accent um (laughs) shirley knight's in that movie and the one that i've chosen for you who plays young ellen burston in this movie ashley ashley judd yeah Oh, um, okay. So, Ashley Judd. There's going to be a bunch of options. We did an episode on Double Jeopardy. I think Double Jeopardy could be possible. But it could also be Kiss the Girls or any number of those other courtroom-y movies. <sighs> um, I know that it was on for Natalie Portman, or maybe it was Stalker Channing, Where the Heart Is. I'm just going to say Where the Heart Is. Incorrect, but that's a good guess. But <sighs> okay. Fine, then I'll say Double Jeopardy. Correct. Double Jeopardy. How many of these do I think are on there? I'll just say Kiss the Girls. No, and that's surprising. I would have absolutely said Kiss the Girls, but that is wrong. Mm. All right, so that's two incorrect answers. You've gotten one of them. Your remaining three are from 1995, 2004, and 2006. Interesting. So this is past kind of those legal thriller years. Or no, how late was she still doing them? One of them, I will say, is is I'm giving you the film festival year rather than the... um, Release year. Release year. Mm. So, is one of those... Mm. Uh. Wait, what was the one in the 90s? Say the 90s one again. 95. That's gotta be Heat. It is. It's Heat. She's heat. Okay. so good and also maybe sweaty in Heat. That was during her era where she would only show up movies if she had to, like, sweat buckets. It was that, and then A Time to Kill. <laughs> a Time to Kill. A Time to Kill, she's literally just, like, dripping wet in that movie. I felt so I bad is. for her watching that movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to guess Bug. Yes, that's the one. Uh, 2006 She's Cam incredible in that movie. Does not open until 2007 in the States. Was famously yeah. despised by audiences because the ads totally lied to you about what kind of movie it was. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. It's a great She's movie. incredible. She's in incredible it. in that Absolutely movie. Absolutely incredible. Michael Shannon's incredible. Love Bug. Okay. What's my other year? Oh, uh, 04. So after Yaya Sisterhood... She kind of takes a break. Is DeLovely... Is it DeLovely? It's DeLovely. It's stupid. Golden Globe nominee for DeLovely. And that's probably why it's on her... Yep. Known for. 
It's a lovely a movie that was disappointing for me, I will say. <laughs> I really wanted that movie to be really great. I love Kevin Klein. I love Ashley Judd. Love, love uh, musicals and it's love gay shit and it's all such a disappointment. Mhm. Yeah. Love Alanis Morissette. Love Alanis Morissette. Exactly. Exactly. Alanis Morissette covering De Lovely and that always makes me think of um, the Tori Amos car- ca- cameo in Mona Lisa Smile. <laughs> yeah. The lovely soundtrack is good. Movie not so much. Movie not so much. Yeah, sorry, Urban Winkler. We Isn't it like Cheryl Crow doing Begin the Begin? Yeah, there's a lot of... <laughs> it's kind uh, of wait, wild. Now I want to go into the cast list of that movie and find the cameos because there is... We may have to save it for the actual De Lovely episode that we'll eventually do. Oh, yeah, we should do it. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, They credit Cole Porter as musical performer for an archive uh, sample. All right. I think that's in the credits. Robbie Williams, Elvis Costello, Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow, John Barrowman, Diana Krall, Natalie Cole. It's a lot. It's a lot of cameos. Yeah, we'll do that maybe sometime. Joseph, yes. tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Oh, sure. Uh, Twitter, at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Letterboxd, Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. Fantastic. I'm Chris File. Chris V. File on Twitter. Same on Letterboxd. Once again, we encourage you to donate to the Emergency Release Fund at emergencyreleasefund.com. Um, otherwise, we would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please be our own ghost housekeepers and take down those curtains and tell us this house is ours. This house is ours. This house is ours. That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. So much a man can tell me, so much he can say.